better off anyway gastrointestinally Neb. so you need to maintain what you've done so that's the other big lesson the marathons never do anything on marathon day that you haven't tried in training okay yeah so if, there's no point with 12 weeks changing your diet because you get runner's trots which is basically you shit yourself when you run and that's and you're because you imagine you're bouncing up and down there's the only sport in the world where you bounce up and down your elementary track and that one and you get to 32 k's when you hit the wall and it feels like a bear has come out of the crowd and jumped on your back or a piano some people say and that's exactly what happens so within three strides you're thinking you know i'm nev and i'm rocky balboa and you know whatever chariots of fire and then all of a sudden what? your brain goes stop at these running camps he's one of the best marathoners australia's ever had and went to four olympics and blah 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 but he would say that anybody can go to the olympics if you ran 200 k's a week for 20 years right. <laughs> everyone welcome back uh, to the strength institute podcast and also running a marathon uh, mini series um, today my guest is justin Berich, um, who i'm very lucky to have on the uh, the podcast today so a little bit of a uh, introduction for him is that he uh is a physiotherapist and probably in my opinion australia's top sports physiotherapist and it's not the top definitely one of the top few and he's got a really impressive resume from being the physio for the uh, Western Reds NRL team, the Western Force Rugby Union team, the, uh, the Wallabies when they were playing locally. We've also had him uh, uh, be a physio for NFL players for the uh, New York Jets, Darrell uh, Rivas, uh, amongst many other accomplishments and accolades there. And on, on top of everything, he's also uh, a marathon runner, which is perfect for me because um, it's someone else that I can pick their brains about. And I asked him just to give me some information in regards to his marathon running, and he's done over 10 competitive marathons. His best is a two hour and 48 minute marathon, which is pretty impressive. Um, he's done the New York Marathon and several Boston marathons, including the one I believe you said uh, that the bombing happened at, which is pretty intense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, also placed fourth in Sydney for his age group in the marathon. So really a, a, a high level marathon runner, um, a top range physiotherapist. And uh, thanks very much for jumping on with me. No worries, Nev. Great to be here. Yeah. So I guess um, you yourself weren't always a, uh, a marathon runner. Um, as a matter of fact, when I was a youngster and you were taking care of me as I was progressing through my, you know, junior and, and adolescence of rugby, um, you didn't resemble a marathon runner at all. And one day uh, I had some time off and came back in and you were a completely different man. And uh, yeah. you had told me that you'd start doing marathon. Um, and, really? you know, I, I didn't think much of it at the time. And now I've embarked on this journey myself. And uh, I thought, well, I definitely need to reach out to Justin and um, ask him a few questions. Sure, go ahead. Um, well, first of all, I guess a couple of different things. Um, I'd like to touch on, you know, nutrition, sort of running volumes and intensities, sort of workloads, um, but a really mm -hmm. important one, injury prevention, which you'd be sort of the, uh, the go-to guy for, um, because sure. the whole point of being able to do this is to be able to complete it, not just to burn out at week six with a hamstring or hip flexor injuries. So, in your opinion, what should I be trying to prioritize here? My nutrition, my actual training plan, um, stretching to stay on top of any little niggles that I do get. Um, what do you think is the best thing that I should be focusing on? Uh, coming from a strength base is exactly what I used to do. So I was like you in the gym and played rugby, of course. And uh, so I went from that somatotype, which is another interesting point, really, that anybody can run and there's no talent required. Um, I used to do the medical for Steve Monaghetti when he, have his, he had his running camps. He's one of the best marathoners Australia's ever had and went to four Olympics and blah, blah, blah. But he would say that anybody can go to the Olympics if you ran 200 k's a week for 20 years. 
<laughs> and it's so true. Running is the most egalitarian sport there is. There's no talent required. It's purely do you have the time, the effort, and the wherewithal to do it. So really it's uh, helped. And, and the beautiful egalitarian part is it doesn't matter about talent. It's how much training you do is how fast you run ostensibly. And so results are the same. So if you want to go fast, you train more. And if you want to go slower, you train less. And same with body weight, really. Body weight's a big part, as you know, of VO2 max. It's all per, per kilogram. So the lighter you can be, the better. So, for instance, when I was playing rugby, I was probably 94 kilos um, and 4 or 5% body fat. And now I'm 4 or 5% body fat and probably uh, race at about 68 to 70 kilos. Wow. So that's how... That's the fluctuations you can get from the human body of an experiment of one for myself. So basically anybody can do it, which is nice for your, um, you know, gym people that can't go to the gym now, they can certainly take up running. Uh, as far as injuries go, uh, the most important thing is uh, graduation. So the normal rule of thumb with running is don't increase your mileage, and we work on mileage mainly, uh, by 10% a week. So if you ran 10Ks one week, you wouldn't go, you'd just add another kilometre on your total mileage for the next week. That'd be my first thing to not get injured and end up at the practice. Uh, the other thing would be to run every second day. If you run every day, you tend to break down and stress fractures and overuse injuries abound. So um, just like in the gym where we don't train body parts, you know, within 48 hours of each other because they're still in that catabolic state. You give yourself 48 hours off to recover and do something else. If you're really, you've only got 12 weeks to get a marathon on that in particular. So most programs are 16 weeks for marathon. So 12 is cutting it a little bit fine, but someone as fit as yourself with other interests like jiu-jitsu and, uh, and things like that, um, you know, and you're more limber than most would be, would be fine, I'm sure. But uh, keep in mind, most people give it a good four months. Um, it's a normal training base to build up. And before that, they've probably got a base of a month before that. And most elite marathoners run only one marathon, if you're lucky, to a year. And that's about as much as you could ever do and your client should ever really do unless they're going to end up broken again for the same reasons of overuse, Nev. Sure. Well, I guess, um, I mean, the first thing I wanted to touch on, and that 10% did come up in my previous podcast with Mike Laurie, who is a professional triathlete who I was asking some questions with. He said, you know, trying to go more than 10% a week increase um, to avoid those injuries or unnecessary injuries. Um, yep. I guess the issue is with only doing a 12-week program, even if I was to do a 16-week program, uh, is that I'm coming from a spot of basically no running training. Like you said, I've been doing jiu-jitsu. I've got a reasonable um, endurance base, but, but running is a different ballgame. Um, and the first week was sort of interesting figuring out, you know, what was burning out first, my lungs or my legs and everything like that. Yep. Um, my programmed weekly increments do go up by more than 10%. So I've finished my first week. I've just started my second week of training. I am doing basically every second day. Um, uh, so between three and four runs a week, um, two shorter and one longer or three shorter and one longer. Uh, yep. My question is, should I uh, go up by the 15 to 20% per week that I have to, to be able to get to a marathon distance over the 12 weeks or should I take, uh, my, let's say, my week two training up significantly so that from that point I can increase by only 10% per week? I think the 10% is still the rule to take. It just depends on how fast you want to run. And really, that's all it is. If you want to run fast and run really quick, then you want to do the, uh, you can go up 15 or 20%, but that would be an equal increment linearly related injury risk. So okay. you'd run further, you're going to bust quicker. And for a big guy, you want to be careful. So. 
um, they're, the, they're the two downsides. Yeah, if you wanted to get really scientific about it, if you're an elite athlete coming back from injury, I ran a New York Marathon with a stress fracture in my knee once, um, and I had trained in the pool for eight weeks before that. I didn't even step foot on the ground. So the last eight, I think actually 12 weeks, I, um, I didn't actually touch the tarmac, and I flew to New York and worked the jets and then ran, and I was fine. So I, I kept up my aerobic fitness in the pool, which a lot of people think they can't do, but you actually can. So you get a pool belt on and work in the pool, and so you don't have to, you can cross train with something I'd suggest if you want to push for time. So um, bike work in between or um, running in the pool just to unload your body because you are a big guy. If you're, a, if you're the smallest person and skinny, then it's not a big deal. Um, you can probably you know, increase those increments faster. But nearly the biggest trick of the marathon is to get to the, the start line without being injured. But nearly everybody is. So everyone's carrying something, just like in any elite sport. Just like in rugby. Exactly, just like every sport there is, jiu-jitsu, UFC, someone's going with a broken hand, someone's going with a broken jaw, and uh, that's just sport, and you wouldn't get to where you were if, uh, as a world champion or as an elite athlete, uh, unless you had some sort of injury and that you were masking and hiding and not telling your physio and, and uh, overcooking it. So, so, so they're, they're the big things. Um, the other tips that I'd say for that are important to not get injured in the first place um, is shoe selection. Obviously, to have the right shoe for your biomechanics is very important and also to rotate them. So a lot of people don't know, but uh, shoes generally last about 800 kilometres. So if your shoes have done that, if you could log them um, and they've done more than that, get rid of them. And the best investment you can have, you find a shoe you like, is actually buy two pairs because it takes 48 hours, the studies show, for the shock absorption to come out of your shoe. So if you, use, if you rotate them, you get the full use out of your phone and the less shock on your body. And that's been shown in many studies. And also it keeps your shoes fresh um, and feel the nice and, and springy for when you use them. And also they last longer. So those shoes will last you twice as long as if you bought one pair, wore them out, got another pair, wore, wore them out. And also keeps them drier. So you don't get foot disorders, um, fungus disorders and toenail problems and, um, and the like, uh, bacterial disorders, all those sort of things. So rotating your shoes is really important. And even mixing up your shoes. So if you have a support shoe and then a less supportive shoe and one with a, a higher heel raise, um, it's called a drop. So you can have 11 mil drop from the front to the back of the shoe. So the more, the more height you have, the more it'll be unloaded to cars, for instance. So if you mix up your shoes, it can be a better thing. So you can have, because your body doesn't get used to wearing out the same line of your knee or your hip or whatever is your problem area. So mixing it up, which is, you know, like orthotics, if you like but um, using a different shoe. So your shoe's going to hit the ground differently and you're going to train differently. Your cadence will be different. Your foot stroke will be different. Sure. No, that's, that's really important. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, I do know that for the running shoes that I'm using currently, uh, you know, I went down, I think it was like, you know, athlete's foot where you, you walk on the, uh, uh, not, I think it's athlete's foot, where you walk on the, uh, that little treadmill there and it sort of maps out how you roll. So I did have a bit of a roll and they gave me some shoes with a bit more, some new balance ones, a bit of a, a uh, bit more support along the inside. Now, is that good enough? Um, or should I be going to see a podiatrist to, to get them to look at my feet? Um, what would you recommend? Funnily, funnily enough, because um, we, we got sick of that sort of thing and uh, a lot of um, orthotics are made and they're quite rigid and they're big, they don't fit in your shoes, they're very expensive and often they're uh, molded uh, with people in a non-weight bearing position on the bed with plaster cast. And they can be problematic because of course, you, when you, you've got 33 bones in your foot, when you stand up, they change um, and become close packed. And then when you move, walk, they become different again. And when you run, they become different again. We have our own system where we, from Canada where we run on a force platform and it makes these better orthotics, which are 
a slimmer and fitness shoes and actually allow you to pronate and then spring back. So they, they have a bit of giving them with, with different algorithms for golf, for ice skating and all sorts of things. So if you did have biomechanical problems, that would be the way to go. And that's the most cutting edge because I've got Jack of sending people off and they spent a thousand bucks on an expensive doorstop because they couldn't tolerate them. But in 12 weeks, you're probably not going to have to have the turnaround time to do that. Um, long term, if you wanted to keep running, then something you want to address as a big fella. But if you've got shoes that um, support you, then they will be enough. But keep in mind that every run you take, you're getting less and less support from the shoe. And also, lacing is very important. So if you've got a, um, a normal shoe, there's two holes at the top of the, of the, of the shoe. So that's often not used. So you've got to loop your shoe around on both sides and then uh, put the two holes through each other. So you're holding your calcaneum, your heel, on the back of your shoe. Yeah, and okay. that gives you a, a lot of support. So there's two, those two holes at the top of your shoe are to be used and no one ever does. So I've never had anybody in, in a quarter of a century of doing what I do have actually used those holes and they hold your heel back into the shoe and also... Um, do you want me to show you quickly? Yeah, yeah matter of fact, I'm going to grab my... Uh... Yep. Right now. Oh. Yep. You know what? Away. I think I'm uh, perpetuating the, the bad thing here. There's definitely a, a hole that's not being used. Correct. Correct, correct, correct. So what you've got now, I'll just grab the pair of mine of the million pairs of shoes that I've got. So if you can see there. Yes. So basically the shoe, go, the, the, the lace goes in and then out on that side. Yeah. And then you cross over and that shoe, lace becomes like that. Okay. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah, all right. Because they, uh, they've they left that. Well, you can't, my shoe's dark. But yeah, they have left that last hole Correct. out. They nearly so always do. So you just lace them up normally. And then when you get to the top, you just get a, a loop like that. Yeah. Yep. And then a loop like that on the other side. Perfect. Yep. And then you cross, you put that shoe, uh, hole through there, that lace through there, sorry. And if you can see, then when you pull it tight, it's going to tourniquet the front of your heel, or the front of your ankle, sorry, back into the shoe. Okay. And that's where your money is, is all in the back of the shoe, do you understand? So when you're held back there, that's going to stop you pronating, which is that. And also what's really important is it doesn't smash your toenails at the end of your shoe. Nearly always rookies will lose their toenails and use it as a badge of courage. It should never happen. It's a lacing issue. It's never, a, and the other thing too is when you get a pair of shoes, you should have a, your thumbnail, not the thumbnail, the little 16 year old girl at athlete's foot, but your thumbnail <laughs> at the front of your shoe uh, when you're standing up. Okay. Because when you run a marathon, your foot expands a whole shoe size. Really? It does, yeah, just through swelling. Makes sense, yeah? So if you're really quick and running a three or four hour marathon, it's a lot of blood going down to your feet and there's a lot of swelling and uh, vasodilation going on and it spreads to your toes and then your toenails come off. And that's a common complaint you'll often see marathoners and there's this big blood patch over here and people think aren't you know how good's that but you know those black toes never go away and their toenails fall off but that little lacing technique stops that immediately fantastic well thanks very much i'm definitely writing that one down that's the first thing i'm going to change before yeah. my next run well, well exactly and it makes the shoe that's how the shoes are designed that's how the people at asics and at new balance want you to wear them but no one gets told to lace them up because it takes an extra 30 seconds in the shop and sadly, people don't use their equipment properly. So, but for running, all you need is a pair of shoes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So everything else is uh, optional. Yeah, so fair that's enough. It. And that's the, and that's the most, the injury, injury uh, prevention, they're the most important things. The other thing you mentioned was stretching. 
not a huge fan of stretching. I, I think stretching is only really necessary. And, I, and elite sport, we kind of stopped doing that 20 years ago, really, where everyone just stands around stretching. But, you know, if someone identifies like yourself or me or something that you've got an imbalance, say a hip flexor's tight, um, pulling you into a lordosis in your back or some, an issue that's medically, you know, observant, then, then stretch. But really with running, the beauty of running is the warm-up, especially when you're doing a marathon, you don't want to be stretching and running before a marathon. You want to save all your calories and all your energy for the actual race. So I don't do anything. The first mile of the marathon is your warm-up, trust me. So just go slow. And then if you think you're going slow, go slower again because you can't bank miles. So if you run out quickly at the start, you're gone ski. And the best way is the negative split, to be honest. So negative split means to run the back end um, faster than the front end. And it's very yeah. difficult because nearly every marathon is exciting. You get pumped and, and you're feeling good. And you get the 32Ks when you hit the wall and it feels like a bear has come out of the crowd and jumped on your back or a piano, some people say. And that's exactly what happens. So within three strides, you're thinking, you know, I'm Nev and I'm Rocky Balboa and, you know, whatever, Chariots of Fire. And then all of a sudden, what? your brain goes, stop. So um, starting slow is the best warm-up in running. And the, and the best warm-up in running is running slow. So you run a slow, slower cadence. And then after a K or a mile, maybe 1.6Ks, start to feel a bit of a sweat on your brow, that's your warm and then you can start to push the, push, push the pedal down. And really, if you wanted to stretch, so if you had a calf injury or some of you are carrying an injury, that's the time to stretch. Once you're fully warm and sweating, pull over, stretch whatever you need to, ITB, calf, hip flexor, whatever, and carry on Columbus. Yeah, But perfect. um, yeah, don't spend hours cold stretching because all that does, and it, it even decreases performance, they've shown. So, you know, for Olympic athletes running 100 metres, for instance, if you stretch beforehand, you actually go slower. And as you know, with power athletes, you know, you want fast twitch up the wazoo. You don't want anything slack and slow. You want it fast. Yeah, dynamic so, warm-ups only, basically. Yeah, 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 exactly yeah. dynamic. But I would say in running, it's irrelevant. So you don't even need a warm-up in running. Your running is the first mile and just settle in because uh, it's all about, the marathon running is all about energy conservation and uh, using as, leaving as much glycogen in your system as you can because you can only carry 32 k's of glycogen and then you run out. And that's what the important thing is when you hit the wall and blow up and your body starts to catabolize fat and that takes more oxygen and then you get exhausted. And that's why the last 10 Ks of marathon, no matter who you are, whether you're, um, you know, uh, Robert DiCostella or, you know, a, a six hour marathon, it's a punish. So everyone's hurt in those last 12 Ks. <laughs> yeah, no, I believe it. I believe it. Well, that's, um, that's some great tips so far. And we did touch on it before. You know, I am heavier. Um, I started this whole thing at about 103 kilos. I'm down to after the first week and a half of 101. And my, my intent is to, by the time I get to the actual marathon day, I'm going to be probably closer to 90 or a high 80. So definitely a fair bit of weight wow. drop, which, will, which I know will 100% yeah. help. Um, absolutely. But, absolutely. That, that'll be the biggest thing you can do is to eat light. I mean, I'm vegan. So um, that's the other thing too that people don't realize. You know, I think you have to have special diets or something. I've been vegan a long time. And uh, as I'm sure you know, a lot of people are, and I haven't had a problem with it. So, you know, just eating clean is good and eating light is good. And the lighter you can be on race day, the better your body will be. And when you come back to do jiu-jitsu, you'll be unbeatable. Absolutely. <laughs> you'll be 20 kilos lighter fighting guys, but you'll be equally as strong. You won't lose any strength. Well, I'm still doing so, my gym uh, sessions, so that's important. But with that, good. Yeah, with with uh, your your diet, you know, um, being vegan or, yep. or not, I mean, this was something that I was thinking about. Oh, should I go ketogenic because then I can just metabolize? You know, I've got a lot more fat to burn through. I decided just to stick with a normal a normal diet, just eat healthily. Yeah, and uh, and you're better off anyway, gastrointestinally, Neb. So you need to maintain what you've done. So that's the other big lesson of marathons: and never do anything on marathon day that you haven't tried in training. Okay. 
Yep. So if, there's no point with 12 weeks changing your diet because you'll get runner's trots, which is basically you shit yourself when you run. And that's, and you're, because you imagine you're bouncing up and down. It's the only sport in the world where you bounce up and down your elementary tracks and that will make you shit yourself. And so I've had, you know, multiple decades of training of doing that. And now I can eat anything and, you know, I could have a hamburger and, and go for a run. It wouldn't matter. But someone like you, if you're used to being a specific diet and then go running on it, you're, you're pulling over and you, you go out with one, with two socks on, you come back with one sock. Oh dear. Oh dear. <laughs> now, do you, do you track your uh, weekly calories and your carbohydrate intake? Um, I know you're okay. trying to keep that. Okay. Quite, just, and when I say vegan, I'm really just um, plant-based. So, Obviously, plants basically. So no, I don't track my carbs because they're all carbs. So and I don't think it's necessary to eat more carbs. What is necessary on race day, and and it is definite an ergogenic aid that can make you run faster is the carbohydrate gels, which I'm sure you're aware of. Yeah. So that is shown to help, and if you can have one of those every half an hour, they're really good. Um, so I'll be packing depending on how far you're going to run. I'll be having one of those every half an hour. But again, you have to do it in training, and you have to have it with that bouncing up and down. And some people can't tolerate them. And some people think you have to have carbs, like in a carbo shop for six bucks, you don't. You can eat jelly beans, you can eat hard lollies, you can eat bananas, whatever your stomach likes. It can be you know, cheap stuff, it doesn't matter. Uh, cordial is just as good as Gatorade. As long as it's got the sugar content, it's, it's fine. And as long, as long as you can carbo load before it, you're fine too. So it, the body doesn't know the difference between pasta and rice. It doesn't care as long as it's carbohydrate. But what is important is water intake. So you, a lot of people don't know, you can take on one gram of carbohydrate, you need, you need a milliliter of water as well. So you've got to drink. So when you drink, um, you take on the carbs and then, then you'll feel a little bit bloated on, on race day, you'll feel a couple of pounds over. over. And you'll think, oh, I feel sluggish and terrible and emaciated. And that's when you know you're ready to race because you'll need those in the last 12 Ks. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair so uh, so diet, diet, not that vital, but if you're trying to lose weight, absolutely, do whatever you, diets have worked for you in the past and try not to overcook yourself, but you'll find you'll get hungrier anyway because running and running is a different beast to the gym. You'll, uh, you, you can get voracious appetites and, and um, you know, really desire the sugars. So, uh, yeah, and you can feel free to indulge if you're losing weight, then, then, then you can indulge yourself. But obviously, you know, as you already are, I'm sure you're eating clean as a whistle anyway. So um, low fat, you know, and uh, what is, is the way to go as it always is with everything, really. Fair enough. Well, Justin, that's um, uh, some really helpful information for me. Um, are there any other tips and tricks um, that you should uh, let me in on before I let you go here? Yeah, yeah. Um, what else? I mean, like I said, just not using anything that you haven't used in training is very important. So you're, so how far are you planning on, on running, like your distance, your furthest distance in training? Yeah, so basically, uh, I've, I've got set up uh, two to three small runs, one long run. Now, the first week's long run was only 6Ks because it was my first run in quite some time. Uh, it's 10Ks this week, 14Ks next week, and then I do have a deload on week four where I bring my total um, uh, kilometers down a little bit. Basically, uh, the plan was to buy on week uh, 10, have my long run, I'm still doing short runs, but have my long run be 30 kilometers. So, you know, three quarter mark. Yeah. As many as you can go, the better. Everything is about the long run. So the mileage during the week is just to set you up for a base so that you don't break for the long run. And the long run is where the real training takes place. So you want to suffer as long as possible, really. And it's, it's more about time in that regard. So if you're running 30Ks, you can go slower. As long as you try and get a run in, it's about the time you're going to be on your feet for the marathon, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So if you're running 30Ks, you're running really slow. Then that's probably what you want if you're going to be running 
X amount of time for the marathon. So um, but you definitely want to do as many 30K long runs or a close around that as you can get. Um, if you're in a normal training cycle of 16 weeks and running sub-elite sort of times, then you want to be doing probably four of those and going up to 32Ks, but nothing over that. Because the last 10Ks is just um, a punish and you can't really close without breaking something. So um, that's something that it's a, it's a brain thing. And really the, the, the whole idea of running is um, anxiety. So when you run, it's just your brain saying stop, 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 and you ignoring it. And that's all, that's all when you see running in that vernacular that it's nothing more than, than anxiety reducing or anxiolytic. You've just got to convince yourself that you can keep going, you're not going to die because your body will tell you, trust me, that you are dying and you need to stop immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll fight the urge. And there's always guys, I mean, back to when they used to do the City of Surfers 12Ks, you know, and people think that was a long way. And, you know, and then there was guys like Dean Carnassus came out and he could run, uh, you know, 300Ks. And going, well, can someone do that? And they used to think, you know, women shouldn't run. Like the first woman run the Boston Marathon, Catherine Schweitzer and uh, Ronna Gibb, you know, they thought their uteruses would fall out, you know, when they were running. So there's been ridiculous things about running. But to be honest, um, we're designed to run and, and running is fine as long as you build it up slowly. The, the one also important thing for people to know is that there's no science behind running wrecks your knees or your joints or gives you osteoarthritis. In fact, all the studies uh, show the exact opposite. The runners have more pristine knees when they do cadaveric studies on dead marathoners. They have 20% thicker cartilages in their knees. So running doesn't wear out your knees. It doesn't wear out your hips and your back. It's actually a fantastic thing to do for your joints and to keep your, your body fat down and the most efficient exercise we have. So, you know, and also the big side that everybody misses is the mental health side. So, which is really why I run is for stress release and anxiety. So, um, a good half an hour run through all the studies have shown to be more effective than any antidepressant than big pharma has produced in America. And uh, you can get that for free. Those opioids, you don't get that most places. You know, you have to push pretty hard in the gym to get that. As you would know, it'd be a big squat session. You'd get some maybe or a big bench session and you know, sure. break a record. You can go for a half an hour run and, and smash yourself and come out feeling exactly as if you've had some opioid in your brain. And that's all for free. And it's, it's in a healthy, uh, in a healthy environment too. So as long as you don't overcook it, you know, things are okay. But the naysayers that say running is bad for your knees and you're going to have osteoarthritis is rubbish. There's no evidence at all that I've ever come across that anyone's ever been able to show me that was a real study that showed any of that. That's just all bunk. Well, I'd have to assume it's the same as, as weights. Your body is fantastic at adapting. So when you put it under stress of, of squatting weights, it doesn't break you. It makes your bones stronger. So It does, yeah. which is what we do with elite athletes all the time. <laughs> and, if, and sadly, the, the narrative is that they get injured and usually have surgery, most of them unnecessarily. And then once um, they've had surgeries, they have osteoarthritis caused by the surgery and then they get then they get sacked because they've turned 40 or 30 an arbitrary figure that people put on them like for instance i'm 50 but i can you know when i run i i run times faster than you know people half my age and it's not because i'm superhuman it's just because i you know enjoy running so it's a very important message for all your clients that it's ages like i've run marathons with guys at 82 you know, and you don't get heart attacks, you don't drop dead, no one does. Um, it's it's a great thing, and same with exercise. It, it, like your dad, you know, like Dusan. <laughs> well, he's going to be he's going to be going ideally <laughs> for his um he's going to be going for a world record squat attempt this November in powerlifting. At, at what age? Uh, Seventy three, he'll be. So yeah. an age really, 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 really is a number. I mean, it's a long time, and so people that believe that they're old, they're old, and people that don't, they don't. So, you know. If you think you can, you think you can't, you're right. And that's, you know, Henry Ford said that, and it's so true. So yeah. if you want to run, 
you want to do gym, do gym, but um, don't let anyone uh, uh, tell you otherwise. The other thing that's there was the, a guy called uh, um, Noakes, Dr. Noakes, who wrote The Law of Running, and which is the biggest book. In fact, actually, now that I see it's right here, when I say biggest book, this is how thick it is. Yeah, South okay. African run. And the first thing he says, um, the first thing he says is, don't take any advice from anyone about uh, medically about running unless they run. Right. And it's the same with Jim. <laughs> so unless you, unless your doctor or your your physio or your podiatrist or someone has actually lifted a barbell up a few times or been in jiu-jitsu, don't let them tell you what you can and can't do because the human spirit and the human body can do anything as long if you let it. But if you if if we all said what people told us, no one would, you know no one would look like you. That's for sure. So that's that's a great message and, and it really pays out well for running it's a, you know especially with COVID-19 you see obviously so many more people running now it's hilarious because they can't go to the gym that's right they've closed, they've even closed um uh Jacob's Ladder because they used to have buildings like you going up and down with their beautiful girlfriends you know <laughs> and there's too many guys going doing their squats and stuff and they, they couldn't fit them on Jacob's Ladder so they actually had to lock it you know because they couldn't oh, be well. But it's great to see, and I think I think with this virus, when everyone comes back, we'll hopefully a lot of people will be obviously a lot of people will be overweight from doing nothing. But I think some people might have got a new regimen from people like yourself and doing these sort of podcasts that they can say, you know what, I can do this, and uh, off they go because they've got nothing else to do. So they've got plenty of time for the first time in their lives. That's it. So and uh, I, I keep saying it's so important to um, to set a goal, to stay, keep yourself on track. Otherwise, it's easy just to stay at home on the couch all day. You know, you have a goal, you make a plan, and that's what's going to keep you accountable. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Accountability is the key. And uh, the beauty, and then the other thing for runners too is a runner's diary, just like in the gym, you know, you're writing down how much you just bench. It's exactly the same with running. So the other good things to do there too, actually, um, as a training tool, if you want to pursue this, is uh, taking your resting heart rate in the morning. Most watches do them now. You know, I've got a Garmin that does it for me. But, me too. Yep. Bingo. Uh, twinsies. But uh, if you take your resting heart rate and if it increases 10% as a rough guide, and you probably don't have to run that day. You've done enough on the last, if you did a hard, hard training run or a speed session, for instance. We won't talk about speed sessions today because it doesn't matter. But if you did went and go running, you'd probably do one speed session a week. But, um, and, and a, a aerobic session more, you know, more, um, you know, uh, what do you call it, anaerobic threshold sort of sessions. But anyway, so if you were training, you'd want to, if you increase your heart rate, uh, gone up 10% overnight than usual at your resting, then you probably could have a day off and rest, go do something else. Okay. And that goes in your journal every day. And also when you run, you write down how far you ran, how you felt, um, and little things like that. And going back on those journals, as you know, with weights, exactly the same. You can pick up, you know, trends and things and how your shoes went and saw this person ran that run, whatever. And, and that's quite important to be accountable to. And you can look back and, you know, and uh, and have a look. And so the days you didn't run, you go, well, I should have run that day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Justin, thank you so much again for jumping on. I really appreciate your time and your advice. Um, and I'd love to touch base with you again in like a month or so, um, just to sort of Absolutely, see how things are yeah. tracking. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Just write down your we'll keep your journal going. Write down your questions anytime. We'll uh, we'll tee off whenever you like and go to the next level. Fantastic. Thanks very much, Justin. Have a good one, right, mate. Yeah. Cheers. Good to see you, buddy. Keep you punching. Too.